0: Good morning, Covenant Fellowship Church. This morning, we'll be reading the Word of God from Hosea chapter 2. I know it's not a common spot we usually flip to, so I'll give everyone a little extra time to get there. It's Hosea chapter 2. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Hosea 2 Verse two, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land. And kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom, for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now." And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were used to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all of her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste to her fines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them, and I will punish her for the feast of the Baals, and when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with rings and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her, and there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Akor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me by my Baal, For I will remove the name of the balls from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens And they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. Let's pray. Lord, it is through you that we receive your word. We know that the things of this world will pass away, that flowers and grass wither and fade, but your word stands forever. While this passage was written so many years ago to a people at a different time and a different place, we see, Lord, that it applies to us today because your word never ceases We pray that you would open our ears this morning to hear of your faithful love, of how you continually draw us back because you are faithful even when we are not. We pray that we would serve you in your covenant today and forevermore. Amen. Church, this is a heavy passage, but the title of today's sermon is A Faithful Love. However, after this morning, I think I might call it a fancy love, because when I walked out this morning dressed like this, my kids looked at me and said, Dad, you look very fancy this morning. And this love that is talked about in this passage really is fancy. It is better. It is greater than all other love. I want to give you a story. There was once a young couple... They were newly married. They had all the young love things going on in their lives. They were holding hands, giggling at sweet nothings, doing things together that young couples do. Eventually, one day, they get married. They go off. They start a life together. They have kids. They grow sick. They get better. They grow older with one another. But after time this husband starts having a lingering eye for other women. He starts looking around, staying out later at things he shouldn't stay out at, looking at things he shouldn't look at. And this goes on for years and years. The wife finds out about this and sees that her husband is being unfaithful. He has become an adulterer. He has broken his covenant of marriage. And she pleads with him to come back to her. She pleads with him to not follow this wicked path. But yet, he still spends money, time, and effort seeking after these other lovers. Not only that, but he just begins to speak ill of his wife. He talks of that she's useless to him. She is of no good to him. While she is at home taking care of the kids, making meals for him, keeping the house prepared for him, having a job on the outside, whatever it is, she is doing all these things, yet he is unfaithful. And eventually, it gets so bad that this man seeks a divorce. However, through it all, and amazingly, This bride does not give up. She continues to love her husband, calling him back, telling him to remember the covenant that he made, that in sickness and in health, through richer, through poorer, that they would love each other. And an amazing, shocking turn of events, he comes around. He repents of his wicked ways, sees how loving his wife has been, And turns away from his lovers and back to his wife. Now, this is not a story that we see carried out a lot in the world around us. Instead, we see the opposite. We see broken families. We see marriages torn up by adultery. But this picture is a better picture because it is a picture of Christ's love for His church, and it is the picture of what we see here in the book of Hosea. It is a picture of God's love being faithful against all of our sin. The book of Hosea is split into two major parts. The first part being the first three chapters, and the second part being chapter 4 to chapter 12. In the first part, we have the prophet Hosea and his wife with the beautiful name of Gomer, who is picked out by God for him to marry. When she was picked by God for Hosea to marry, she was already known to be a harlot. But God wanted to use this picture as a picture of the people of Israel and eventually of us today, the church. Because we are that royal priesthood today. In the first chapter, though, We didn't read that, but you need to have a recap as we go into chapter 2 of what happens there. In the first chapter, Hosea is called to marry Gomer, and he does, knowing she is a harlot, knowing she has that past. And they do have children together. The first child is named Jezreel. In in chapter 2, you will have seen that name come up. Jezreel means God plants or God sows like a farmer. But this child, along with all the rest in chapter 1, are called children of whoredom because there is question of whether or not they are even Hosea's children. Jezreel has the best chance, and it is used the name of Jezreel is used in other passages of the Bible to speak of God's sowing judgment upon the land. The second child is called no mercy in English or in the original Hebrew, lo ruhamah. This is a picture of how God is going to deal with Israel if they do not repent of their sins. He will have no mercy on them. And by naming his child no mercy, it is very likely that Hosea is mentioning how this child is not his. And finally, there is the third child, lo Ami. Or, not my people. Because the people of God, the Israelites, were no longer acting as the people of God. They were no longer glorifying God. They were no longer keeping his commandments. Again, further implying also that this child was not Hosea's. That he was not his people. So, Gomer is a picture of the spiritual state of Israel the God's covenant people at that time. And she is also a picture of us, the church. And how often has the church, through history, the modern day, looked to other lovers to find care, to find love, seeking after false truths rather than the truth of the scripture. Gomer abandons the covenant marriage that she is in And leaves to seek after other lovers. But Hosea is a picture of our Savior. He is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who continues to pursue and to love her and to call her back, just as Christ will continue to call us back and to turn and repent. While we may commit spiritual harlotry, He is ever faithful, ever loving to call us to repentance and follow him. And the second part of the book of Hosea, just real quick, is a list against Israel of accusations, warnings, and promises to the people of Israel. Accusations of sins already committed, warnings of the consequences of those sins, and promises of love and of covenant renewal and the redemption of God. And chapter 2 is nestled in this book as a way of explaining both sides of that. Both of what's happening with Gomer and Hosea, as well as with God and the God's people. So for those who are taking notes, I've got two major points for this. The first, from verses 2 through 5, is the life of a sinner. And the second, verses 6 through 23, the love of a Savior. Again, that is the life of a sinner and the love of a Savior. So starting out in verses 2 through 5a, we see how sin is death to hear truth. Read it again with me. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. We see the Lord speaking of Gomer, Israel, the unfaithful covenant people of warnings to make her bear in front of the world, making her like that newborn baby at the day she was born. This is a groom pleading with his spouse, asking, please, stop. Don't go that way. Turn around. Come back to me. I love you. He even asked the children to plead. Don't go, Mama. Don't do that. Don't go there. Remember the covenant. Remember the covenant you made. Don't die of thirst. Don't seek after these drinks that don't satisfy, but seek after the living water. The bride does not want to hear this. She doesn't hear this. She is deaf to the things of the Lord. She is deaf. To good, she is deaf to what is right. Why is this? This is a product of our sin. The book of Isaiah, in particular, is a great study of this. Obviously we're not going to study through the entire book of Isaiah this morning. We could spend literally months doing that. But in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah talks about, when we worship, what we worship is what we become like. If the idols we worship are deaf, mute, and blind, we will become deaf, mute, and blind to the truth. And we see that here. By worshiping deaf falsehoods and things that aren't true, we become blinded and deaf to truth. Instead of seeing how the perfect bridegroom, our Savior, asks us to call us away from our idols, our baals, away from our sins that is preventing this truth and is trying to call us back to a love with him. So listen to the pleading when you hear it. Do not be, bl- do not be deaf to the truth of the Lord. Do not be blind to his truth, but listen to Christ. Remember your first love. Remember the gospel. Remember the good news of Christ, that he loved you and has died for you and is willing and able to save you. But next, we see what sin is. It is a desire for false truths. In verse 5b, we see not only that does sin make us deaf, but it continues us seeking after false truths, these falsehoods. It's like a downward spiral or a snake eating its own tail. It's ridiculous to know where this actually comes from. But look how Gomer, Israel, us unfaithful covenant members respond. For she said, I will go after my lovers who will give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Deaf to the pleading, Gomer is saying she desires those false lovers over the ultimate true love of her husband and savior. She believes that it is these false lovers who are providing all these things. We, however, know, reading on further through verse 8, it wasn't from these false lovers, these other lovers who gave them to her. It was from her true love that she received any of these and that's what our sin does. It looks at the good things that God has given us, and it turns it and makes it seem as if we got it from the world, making us seek after empty pleasures from the world. We can, it, these good things, look at some of the lists of what he has. Bread, water. What are these? Sustenance. They are the things we need to live. What also was given? What other gifts there? Wool and flax, the clothing put on. And later in verse 13, it even mentions rings and jewelry, the fancy things, but also oil and drink. These are the fancier parts of food, you know, the foodies, the, the wines. All of these things were not given to her by these false lovers. They were given to her by our our Savior and our Husband. Comparing these two things is completely false. They are just pale imitations of a better love that is waiting for us with our Savior. C.S. Lewis put it very well in his book, The Weight of Glory, when he stated, It would seem that our desires are not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And this is what our sin does to us. It makes us seek these false truths where we can have, we are far too easily pleased with the little droppings off the table rather than having the feast that is laid upon the table. However, all of this, this life of a sinner, can be changed, can be brought new through the love of a Savior. In verses 6 through 23, the bridegroom speaks of loving his wayward bride and calling her back, wooing her back in three different ways. The first, the Savior, the bridegroom, frustrates our sin. Second, he woos us, his beloved. And finally, he renews his covenant with us. Look again at what the Savior says. Verses 6 through 13. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. For she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain and its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand, and I will put an end to all her mirth and her feasts and her new moons and her sabbaths and all her appointed feasts, and I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages for which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with rings and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. Verse 6 is a turning point in this chapter. We can go through all the commentaries and the chiastic structures in here, But we really see it when he brings out that, therefore, he has a shift in his language. A shift from the sinful wayward bride to the bridegroom and Savior and his love for her. As he says in these first set of verses, how he plans to frustrate our sin. He will put up a hedge with thorns and build walls in front of us to make that sin harder to find, harder to attain. Now, in our sin, how would we see this? It's frustrating. It's almost a discouragement. We want to sin, but it prevents us from doing it. It prevents our deafness, our false seeking to not be able to find these paths. Now, look at what the bride says. I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. These punishments, these hedges, aren't meant to be painful or to be hurt, but to protect, to protect the bride from further sinning. There are many times that we are deaf and blind to truth being spoken to us, and many times in our lives that the Lord is frustrating our sins, putting things in the path to prevent it, to sanctify us, and to make us more holy. But just as the bride will seek after sin, so you and I do the same thing of our own sins. As the bride says in verse 7, I shall pursue my lovers, I shall seek them. But what's the Lord's response? You shall not overtake them, you shall not find them. How can the bridegroom do this? Because he is the one those original gifts came from, anyway. All good gifts come from the Lord. He was the one providing for it this entire time. And our sin and evil desires, we have turned to use them against them. It is like a child who is given a good gift, maybe a PlayStation or an Xbox, and turns around and no longer wants to spend time with the parent who gave them the gift, but to spend time with the gift itself. So the Savior plans to remove those gifts. The husband, the bridegroom, plans on taking away those gifts so that the bride will again see the bridegroom. It is to give sin no quarter, to not let it have a place to hide, but in turn, and eventually we see here in this passage, we can receive better gifts because of a better covenant. Church, Do not run away from discipline. Do not run from conviction of the Holy Spirit. Listen to to the Lord. Listen to what the Lord has given us. How many times have we seen, even in our own circles, young men, young women, who desiring to know God use good things the Lord has given them in ways that are inappropriate? We, obviously, in the context of this passage, are thinking of terrible, terrible sins like adultery. But what about the sins of just injuring another brother in Christ in the church? How many times have we seen young men in particular using the word of God as a cudgel to beat down fellow believers, to pretend that they know more, to puff themselves up with knowledge? Church history is full of these kind of stories, where people have used the good gifts God has given the church against the things that God would see honored. But, as I stated, these frustrations to our sin are not vindictive. They're not meant to be painful for painfulness' sake. The husband, our Savior, does not seek to harm us, does not seek to hurt his bride. Instead, he seeks to restore and to purify his bride. Look at verses 14 and 15. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Akor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And here it is very explicit who the bride is. Not only is it Gomer, the bride is Israel. And as Israel is a picture of us, the church today. When Israel was brought out of the land of Egypt, it wasn't alluring, it wasn't the desolate wilderness that we many times pick think of. It was a time that the people got to spend with the Lord without worrying about things of the world. They were taken out of the land of bondage and slavery and could worship the Lord. He gives him her vineyards. The Valley of Achor, for those who remember from the book of Joshua, the Valley of Achor was where the sin of Achan, where Achan was stoned because of his sin of stealing from, from God when God said, don't do this. Don't steal from the people of, Jer- of Jericho and the other, of the other cities, and he did. It was a terrible time in the story of Israel. Hundreds were killed, and instead the Valley of Achor Valley of will be made a door of hope. It is a, looking back at the sin in the past, we can see greater, how much greater the grace of God really is. This is, we see this in, the, in Paul. We see this in our own lives. As greater as the sin is, the greater the grace is that is needed for that sin. Does that mean we should go sinning all the more? By no means. But we see here, this is the Lord wooing his beloved, calling her out, calling her back. It's not just a calling of, hey, please, I'd like you to come back here, but a wooing of love. He brings you out, speaks tenderly to you, whispering those sweet nothings. But this love, the love of the Savior, is better than any love that we can know in this life. What great hope is laid out for us the promises of the Lord to us, church, it is almost crazy to think that we would choose these false sins. The only reason it isn't crazy is because we know our own fallen natures. We seek after false truths because we are deaf to the word of God. So listen, listen to the pleading, let the grace of God wash over you. Let the word of God wash over you so that you will hear it, so that it will impact you. Listen to his wooing. Now, how do we hear this wooing? How do we listen to it today? We don't have the Lord calling us up on our phones, but we have his word written for us today And we have a special time set out by by our Savior that we can be called into that wilderness, a date night as it were. It is an entire day set apart to the Lord. We have the Lord's day. Take this time to know him more. It's a day set apart. But what happens when this bride finally woos, or when the bridegroom finally woos his bride back? What does he do? He renews the covenant. This is a better and greater covenant than she even had before. Look at verses 16 through 23. And in that day, the day the bride returns, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from her land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens I will, and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel and I will sow for her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. Do you see this, church? The Savior will renew his covenant again, and it will be better. This covenant is better. We have a covenant A lot of times in our modern age, we have a marriage covenant. We use a ring to display that covenant. However, this better covenant does not have a ring to symbolize it. It has a cross. Jesus' death on the cross is that symbol of the covenant for us today. We can look and we see he is our Lord our shield about us, our glory, and the lifter of our heads. In the ultimate act of love, even though he was betrayed, rejected, our forgotten husband, he continues to be faithful to us. Our love, his love for us, cannot separate, cannot, cannot be separated by our love for sin. He is one that we need to run to. He is the one which that, that all love truly comes from. Not from the false things of the world. Not these false gifts that we think come from other lovers. It comes from him. He died in order for us to have a union with God that is in, not possible in any other way. This covenant... While not fully realized now, will be fully realized in the age to come. So church, worship that bride ro- bridegroom today while today is still called today. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and may not be a part of the bride, so I ask, I plead with you as the bride pleads with his church, as the bridegroom pleads with his bride, listen to the word of the Lord. Worship him today that we can know his love. You can know his love today. Whatever is, got, is burdening you, whatever sins are pushing you down, whatever sins are destroying the life around you, listen to that pleading. Listen to the gospel and know the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we see your love in this passage. We see how you have a love that you have repeated through history, calling out your people away from their sins into the love of the Savior. We pray that you would wash us of our sins. We pray that we would repent and turn back to you, that our sins would be quickly forgotten, and that instead we would look and see the amazing grace that you have given us. Lord, we pray today that it would be a day that we would die to our sin, die to ourselves in order to live for you. We pray that we would reject the patterns and sins of this world as we go out this week, that we would honor and serve and glorify you in the everything that we do. We pray this for us today and for every day in the power of your Spirit and the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.